0: Welcome to the Alt Asset Allocation Podcast, exploring alternative investment opportunities available to the everyday investor. Here's your host, Ben Lakoff.
1: Hello and welcome to the Alt Asset Allocation Podcast. Today's interview is with Lakshman Achuthan. Business cycles, economic cycles, it all seems so obvious in hindsight, but cycles are easier said than done in terms of predicting. I love having conversations like this, and we're just trying to pull ourselves out of the paralysis by overanalysis of all the minutiae and answer, is the wind in our face or at our back? Looking at these historical cycles and leading indicators, currently, right now, the question is, are we in a bear market rally, or is this actually at the start of a new bull market? Obviously, with all of my interviews, we're not focusing on the short-term tactical moves, but more so Thinking super long-term on these things and positioning your portfolios, hopefully, accordingly. Lakshman is a student of business cycles for nearly a century at this point with Economic Cycle Research Institute, or ECRI. Highly recommend check out their reports. It's really good stuff. But Lakshman himself really, really knows his stuff about cycles. Before you listen, please don't forget to like or subscribe to the podcast, or even better, leave a review. If you're watching this on YouTube, please subscribe to the channel and or give the video a thumbs up. These things really, really help with awareness, and I really appreciate it. All right, enjoy this episode with Lakshman on All Things Cycles. Lakshman, good to see you. Welcome to the good. Alt Asset Allocation Podcast. Good to see you, sir. Good to see you,
0: good to see you too. It's, it's, it's been a minute, and a lot's been going on.
1: It has. And I was looking back. So episode 43 in April 2021. So for my listeners, I'll link this in the show notes, but that was a great episode. We talked about what are business cycles, economic cycles, why they're important. But since then, obviously a lot has changed. It's now mid-August 2022. Um, it is weird times now, as it was then. And as you say, are a student of the business cycle, you're a big big picture guy, which I really, really appreciate, you know, versus getting st- stuck in the minutiae of uh, day-to-day, short-term-ism. But uh, I want to start off just by asking, where are we in the business cycle? Is this a risk-on, risk-off, upswing, downswing? Where are we in the cycle right now?
0: Sure. And just just to set that table again, we spoke in April, spring of 21. Right. Right. So that, that's perfect in a way, because right there, April, May of 2021, was as good as it gets in terms of growth, and I'm sure we were talking about that. And and I should go back and, and take a listen again, where we're always looking forward. You know, there that's the coincidence. I'm saying as good as it gets in terms of coincidence snapshot. If we took a Polaroid or whatever for your older listeners, <laughs> took a snapshot of what was going on then. You know, double digit growth rates and in the growth stuff. Inflation was was on its way up, but probably not. Totally out of control just yet. And everybody was quite optimistic about everything. And our forward looking data, I'm sure, was, was moving down, deteriorating at that point. In retrospect, looking back in the rearview mirror, it's, it's crystal clear that output, even jobs, okay, we can talk about that, sales and income have been decelerating from very lofty levels. So we've been in, to your question, just to open up, where are we? Okay, we're in a slowdown. And this slowdown has now been a long time coming, right? That's a, a, a you know, spring of 21 is a long time ago. So that slowdowns, and every time you're in a slowdown, you're, there's, it, it resolves in one or two ways. It's, it's a hard landing or a soft landing. Everybody hopes for a soft landing. We all want one. Let's just stipulate that. But you don't always get what you wish for. And I'm afraid, you know, just to set up this this discussion today, I'm afraid we're, you know, the odds are pretty high. We're 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 looking for a we're cruising for a bruising. We're looking for a hard landing here in our forward-looking data. Because when we're looking for signs of a soft landing, what we mean by that is we need to see our forward-looking data on growth stabilizing from its decline and starting to turn and go the other way, the drivers of the economy turning and going the other way. And that has yet to happen. So there's more slowing ahead and we're already dealing with some declines in the levels of things that kind of define the economy outside your window. And when you get declining levels, I'm not talking growth rates, I just switched from growth rates to levels. When you get declining levels, that's the kind of stuff that describes a recession. So there's been all this talk about the negative GDP. That itself doesn't describe a recession. It's often associated with recession. We said technically it's a necessary but insufficient kind of statistic to see around a recession. You really need to see jobs growth also code negative, and we don't have that yet. And we may not have that right away, although Year over year jobs growth is decelerating. And and just to wrap up on the kind of where are we shot of this slowdown that's likely to end in a in a in a soft landing, why, how do we get here? Just to recap real quick. Mm. You know, we had the crazy <laughs> COVID recession, the shutdowns, the basically policymakers in the West really went for it with stimulus. And then the economy is opening up. So you have this super strong upturn. And I'm talking about both monetary and fiscal stimulus, and it's basically the the countries in the West. Some countries didn't do it quite the same. China took a slightly different path. Japan did much less in terms of the stimulus. You see a little less inflation in those countries as a result of a a slightly different policy path, perhaps. The difficulty with the policy path that, that the Western economies in the United States took is that you have inflation, Okay. So we're, you know, that's the headline. Everybody's painfully aware of that. You borrow from future demand, right? You get everybody jazzed up to, to do stuff. And we respond to that, right. You know, and, and as human beings and, and the market economy and that, so that's pulling a lot of future demand forward, which then if you, if you take a break from that contributes to, to the slowdown of the recession, lots of, 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 funny stuff in the supply chains, which really jerks around the producers around the world because they don't fully understand and some of them don't fully understand the cycle. And so there's like, whoa, there's so much demand. Let me build it. They will come. And then all of a sudden nobody's buying stuff and they've got overcapacity and you've got to correct for that. So we're doing that. And then in the meantime, you still got to make policy, right? Or business decisions or whatever. Business people and investors i'm you know they're 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 figuring it out i think they're a little wise to what's happening and adjusting to it in a way i'm a little more worried about the policymakers because i don't know if if the, if the, how they're doing you know the fiscal stuff is got a lot of politics in it and on the monetary side you have really a lack of a framework they they're kind of in, in a way blowing in the wind and and maybe reacting a bit to to Market sentiment and whatnot, so it's it's a a little it's it's not a very cohesive policy framework right now in terms of monetary policy. And let me just leave it there. I dumped a lot out there. You yeah. can take it in any no, direction, there's, there's, and there's a <laughs> lot of directions we can go here.
1: And I mean, I think the the biggest thing is you know you're you've been a student of history and studying history for a long time, and your institute has been very good at predicting recessions based on like historical cycles. But I hear mm. all the time that this is unprecedented and, you know, the government, yeah. their they're backs up against the wall. But just thinking like, you know, ha- are there, how much can we learn from previous cycles and previous instances, periods of history versus like, you know, we're in uncharted territories at this point, right. And like, you're, we're kind of creating creating the history as we go along i mean how do you how do you kind of like balance these things
0: yeah we are in in kind of new new territory in that sense i mean people talk about is this the 70s is is probably the easiest one because we hear about the story of structural inflation of structural inflation in the in the 70s
1: I've also heard the 40s and like you, you know, pick, these pick moments, your time of, period, yeah, you, right?
0: You go back and you see where inflation ran up and you say, Oh, maybe it's like that. So one lesson, right? So so I'm I'm learning from my own experience. I've been doing this real time professionally since nineteen ninety, where we've had some upswings in inflation, but not like huge, huge inflations. And of course, my mentor, Jeffrey Moore, who is the father of leading indicators, and then he's He's certainly recounting to me his mentor, Wesley Mitchell's uh, work since the 20s. So I'm I'm kind of familiar with about a century or so. And look, stuff has changed, right? And, and, and because of that experience, both my own and, and through my teachers, it's taught us re- really not to forecast by analogy too much, rather to look at leading indicators. And I want to get to the future inflation gauge in a moment. Because while some key conditions may seem similar to past episodes, other really important factors are can be completely different from the '70s or the '40s, right? And so, on the cyclical side of things, if we keep it to the cyclical side as opposed to structural, where we can monitor the key factors that drive the inflation cycles, and 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 we can see is it is it heading to the upside or to the downside cyclically, which is looking at of several quarters, not many years. On the structural side of things, I, I could say right away, things are very different from the past several decades. Number one, that's really important because the Fed's operating in a new environment. And number two, it's, 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 that includes the 70s. I mean, we've got massive demographic shifts, very different from those earlier decades. And that's not just within the United States, but it's globally, which also washes onto our shores. Okay, number one, that's a structural thing. It's different than those past decades. You've got deglobalization. I think everybody who hears the word right now is like, oh, okay, everybody's starting to fight. And so the supply chain stuff is over onshoring and this and that, but actually it started without a fight. (laughs) It just was naturally starting deglobalization about a decade ago. Okay, this is not new. It's a, so we think it is a, a, a structural shift. Hard to forecast a structural shift, you can kind of see them after you're in them. And and here we are a decade into I think a bit of a shift of deglobalizing. And and you could see that when you look at the ratio of global trade to global GDP, you could see that happening. Then, you know, come to current, you know, current events meaning like since 17, 18, something like that, 2017, 18, you know, we've been getting into kind of Cold War 2.0. And and how does that interact with deglobalization forces that were already going on? So these are all impacting the structural inflation table. And then you've got the the play, the big player in the elephant in the room or whatever, which is the policy response, in particular the Fed, which leads a lot of other central banks. And you know, I'll just say, and, and look, I'm not Fed bashing in the sense of, you know, I don't just enjoy beating up on them, but this is important stuff. And they made a really, really, really epic policy mistake. And what do they do now in the wake of that? Do they, you know, it, 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 because it, could, it, it may reinforce or push back against these, some of these structural forces that are affecting inflation. So the 70s are are kind of neat you you neat in the sense that yeah we had inflation up it was averaging i think i don't know 7% or so right for the decade in contrast to say the 9 you know post great recession excuse me where it was averaging like 2%, right? So you got structurally 7% or 2%. That's big difference okay but, when, but you, the cycles are happening in both instances, right? And you never know, well, the market never knows. I think we have a sense. But the market gets confused when there's a cyclical turn inside of those periods. So in the 70s, you had cycles in inflation around that average of 7%. You can get to a high of 13%. We were at a high of nine right so we're in that area and you had a low of 3%. now that's a 10% gap okay and 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 i don't think people really think about that too much when they think the 70s they're just like yeah it was high yeah but no it was it was going like that so it feels to me like volatility is a feature that we're going to be navigating it may that may mean kind of this rebirth of 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 macro to a degree it was only a year ago i mean when we were talking there was it was Mm. death of macro you know
1: macro was dead
0: oh yeah macro was dead so so this could be the the flip side of that kind of feeling for the market
1: yeah i just always feel myself you know and i use the word feel because it's like Mm -hmm. it's just kind of this gut feeling but like demographics globalization deglobalization and, and and then like living within the exponential age of technological improvements and then coupled with like potential monetary regime changes and things like that it's like man it does feel different this time but it's still investor psychology and it's still humans making these decisions which drives a lot of this of the cycles I would imagine right
0: you know a hundred percent right so and we, and we were, you know, we've, we've talked about this and I and forgive me if I'm repeating myself, right. But there's this, there's this, uh, we, we write about this physics envy, right. That economists have, <laughs> sorry. And, and, and you, you know, like math or physics or programming or whatever that you're going to, in some other hard sciences, that you're going to get some precision and maybe big data will give us precision. Oh, you know, there's the IEI is going to give us precision also. But the the thing, the factor, to your point, is kind of how you're feeling, right? So, I mean, not, not in a literal model building sort of way. We don't use employee models to forecast cycles. We watch, we monitor indicators. But I'd say, you know, a third, roughly a third of the inputs that are going in that are capturing the drivers of the cycle do relate to feelings, which are... If I oversimplify them, fear and greed, <laughs> you know, and that is what keeps us going, right? I mean, it keeps us from from getting our, our cut off at the knees, the fear, and then it lets us make hay for a rainy day, the greed, right? And you just have to have some way of of, you know, managing that, not letting it get out of control in terms of your own decision making. And, and, and that's where in an, in an applied way, right. Instead of the theoretical way, how can you use cycles to help you out? And so it's not market timing, right? I know uh, there's a, a lot of time and money invested in saying that market timing is a horrible, dirty word <laughs> because it doesn't serve certain agendas where you just want to feed the beast and buy and hold. But bad things happen during recessions. I think mean, we can stipulate that. And, and you tend to get problems with earnings and, and so on and so forth. And you also get those during growth rate cycle slowdowns. And those have been mitigated to a degree by the policy of easy money, which has truncated the persistence of the market reaction during slowdowns but you could only get away with that policy when there's no inflation now that there's inflation we're in a seemingly at least for now in a a new world
1: yeah indeed and let's let's double click a bit on inflation you know I, i tweeted some questions and like a lot of them center around inflation outlook, like where it's going, how long it's going to be here, because this is the headline today is inflation moderates or er, moderates in July. CPI rises yeah. at less than expected 8.5%. This is would see, seem bananas two years ago that were like happy about eight and a half percent. So inflation's on a lot of people's minds. Would love to hear your longer term expectations on inflation where we are stagflation any of the sure. other terms that are relevant in this situation
0: sure well right now look I think the cyclical peak is 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 behind us okay and the question is how but that doesn't mean you don't feel inflation okay just because there's technically a cyclical peak behind you how long is inflation gonna um, kind of plague the economy that remains to be seen it's it's probably going to be there for a bit but I want to Again, orient everybody to what what goes on with inflation. Most of the economic thinking in the world, okay, is that there's some sort of construct of a model of the economy and X amount of growth and here's the inflation and here's the jobs. And they are kind of tethered together, okay? So if one moves, then the other moves. And that's how models work. You add this up and you get this equation that's going to spit out a number and then that's where some of those numbers come from the estimate was this and it beat the estimate or it didn't or whatever look at the end of the day inflation is still really high regardless of that headline and regardless of the beat it's way too high i, I remember that guy, there's a guy in new york he's he always runs i think for mayor he's like the rent is too damn high that's his that's the only thing he says <laughs> you know and and this is you know so he's he's probably got to you know I, I don't know where he is right now he's probably saying that
1: Well, I'll tell Um, you what, man, my favorite place (laughs) in Venice is a breakfast burrito stop, but it's a truck and the price has gone up now like 25%
0: since I'm like, come on, guys, what the heck? Yeah, it's too damn high. The price of the burrito (laughs) is too damn high. That's what everybody is doing. What we're doing is totally different, right? We're looking at cycles. And so there's cycles in growth. We talked about recession for a second. We can get back to that. There's cycles in inflation, which are related, but different. And then there's cycles. There's actually uh, cycles in employment. So, in the wake of the stagflation of the '70s, let me give you a quick history here. My 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 late mentor Jeffrey Moore, and he's the father of leading indicators, literally. Okay, recognized that inflation cycles were different from business cycles. Okay, you cannot equate these two things, and that was 40 years ago. All right. Ever since, we've been working on kind of how what are the forward-looking indicators specific to the inflation cycle? Now a lot of that's proprietary, but we do share this 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 one of these outputs with clients, which is the future inflation gauge and it's designed specifically just like leading indicators lead the business cycle, future inflation gauge leads inflation cycle turning points. And the value of that work is really big. So so in in the summer of 16 when yields were, at multi-year lows, inflation cycle, the fig was going to the upside. It was, it was moving up. Really good call. The next really big one, which is impactful today, was in 2018. When the Fed was in the middle of a rate hike cycle in 2018, and the bond gurus were out you know that they have bond kings and whatever and they were saying look it's going to be 4%, 5%, 10 year maybe even higher bear market in the bonds is 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 here to stay and and of course you know we're monitoring right we don't have any agenda here the the future inflation gauge goes boom the other way and it makes a cyclical downturn right and anyway, we were trying to figure out. We 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 understood what was going on as, as we were, were watching that. But the Fed kept raising rates. In 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 and it wrote, it raised rates in September and December of eighteen. Then the market just puked, and Powell just said screw it, and went the other way in 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 January of nineteen. And uh, that's the Powell pivot. And guess what? We're waiting for now, right? <laughs> We're waiting for, we're like, Hey, can you do that again? You know, that, that's kind of, <laughs> that's a pivot, a, please. Can can you do that again? So, so look, it's dangerous. I understand the market's got to get excited and go for that. And they, you know, whoever knows, I don't know exactly what the market's doing, but, but for the fed for a second here, right. They ought to kind of diagnose. I mean, any of us, if we, if we kind of crack something up would be like, hmm, you know, how'd that happen? I don't want to do that again. Right. You kind of, learn from your mistakes i'm afraid here they kind of learned the the wrong lesson they said oh gosh maybe there was a structural downshift in inflation and that's why we didn't understand it and maybe the phillips curve which is kind of this old old idea they have about uh, jobs and inflation is that maybe it's even flatter than we our models said it was and so therefore we really don't have to get excited about inflation at all, and that set the stage for what they just didn't do, which is react to, let alone predict the inflation that we're having right now, right? Which doesn't seem, again, like to the to the non economists, it's like, yeah, duh, right? But, oh, but also, uh, also
1: in hindsight, right? It's a, <laughs> also it's in hindsight, to... but I think well, duh, those 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 signs were there
0: but also in hindsight but you know I, I i it's it's hard to wrap your brain around the order of magnitude of stimulus right you know what's a few billion or trillion among friends right it's like billion trillion you don't really get the difference
1: which is there the craziest is a thing. To, yeah, I, this is the thing is people like, you know, humans don't understand exponential growth. You like fold a piece of paper 30 times and it reaches the moon, you know, and it's like, what? Right. <laughs> like, yeah, they don't, they so these don't. numbers they, of magnitude are, are very, very different things. But it's just it's so big that it doesn't make any sense
0: anyways. Very different. And so the fig now, you know, in the current in the current stuff we're dealing with now, the fig turned up. I mean, I. I kind of cringe saying this in the fall of 2020, right? Well ahead of, there was a surge in break-evens, which is a market kind of measure of inflation expectations in early 21. And and of course the Fed didn't even start doing anything until earlier this year, right? Cause they just, just didn't get it. So now, you know, the FIG ran all the way up to a 33 year high, inflation went to a, it's a directional indicator. Inflation went to a forty some odd year high. The fig has has peaked and, and rolled over. So directionally, I think the the, the peak is in and in inflation is in, but it's gonna stay uncomfortably high for now. And there's you know, you'll get some relief in the goods inflation, you'll get some relief in the gas. you know, I don't know about food, maybe, not not yet you're right the burritos are still up damn Uh, you know the i saw white bread was still up today so but i'd rather have a burrito and and but the sticky stuff is going to keep edging up it may not even you know still moving to the upside so hard to pivot right if you think about it january 19 you pivot the market puked 20 percent inflation was low you pivot okay because it's like the game book they've been using since the great recession but now you still have inflation at 8%. How do you pivot there? It's a little tough. So the forward guidance, maybe this and that. But I, uh, my sense is it, it may be premature to to say they're going to pivot here. But I'd we'll be serious. Yeah. Uh, he,
1: I, said he, be curious. Be he said he wants to be
0: Volker. He said he wants to be Volker, but I don't know. That's a, I don't well, know if he can do that.
1: I'd be curious what your like unpopular or opinion or hot take is on terms of like what should what that pivot should look like to kind of get us out of this mess or start pointing us in the direction where it would hopefully get us a little more clear.
0: Well, look, the so the so that structural stuff the Fed can't really deal with, right? It's not like you lower rates and demographics change, you lower rates and and, or you raise rates and, and it impacts demographics or geopolitical or Cold War or deglobalization. It, it doesn't really hit those things, right? What it, what it can hit are the cyclical drivers of growth and inflation with a lag. So the real difficulty is they're just so freaking late that they've got to be stomping on the brakes when the economy is already you know till tipping into recession that you know technically you you've got to uh see jobs growth go negative for that to actually be you know to for it to be an actual recession and you know that could take still some more time i mean our our leading employment indicators and, and other analysis back in May was telling us that, hey, the unemployment rate is still going to be going down, you know, and, and you really need that to start moving up if there's going to be, if you're going to be in a recession, you know, give or take a, a, a few months. And that may not be imminent. It's not here now. You know, so we're I don't think we're in recession at the moment, unless, you know, we've got some revisions coming up that you always know, this is this is why it's it's frustrating that you can't just say I know exactly where I am in in economics right but the revisions to the data that will help define some of this ultimately i think we get we get some glimpse at them at the end of august and the and the more more clarity in february of next year mm. for what's going on and these are benchmark revisions so those could plop some negative growth in there and we'll be like, wild. oh, yeah, that's behind us.
1: It's wild. We're just, just driving, looking down the rear in the rear view mirror, right?
0: But you listen to, you know, I just, I did a, a, a I was at a client kind of thing over last weekend. And some of them, they get, you know, they, I, I mean, a lot of your guys and ladies who are listening will, will think about like tech investment. And they're just like, whoa, you know, cause these, cause the tech stuff is tied to the manufacturing cycle, which mm-hmm. tends to be a bigger cycle than the overall economy. And of course, everybody was running hand over foot to buy that stuff a year ago. And if they if the manufacturers and business managers weren't anticipating this slowdown that we're in, they probably had too much capacity, probably produced too much, and all that, right? So they're sitting. You mean in mean, the Peloton
1: like- guys—they the, yeah. they thought that they didn't forecast that this was well, a spike in demand.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, the the Peloton guys, but I think even more even more extreme. I think the Peloton ones you can you can kind of kind of. Think through, but then the ones that that may be more impactful, right, mm. for the broad economy would be, you know, the these manufacturers of of of, of, of really integral things. So, like a uh, one of our one of our clients is a long time. It's a really big chip manufacturer, and they know they've kind of learned how to ride the cycle. And I think you can apply this to smaller companies too. You don't have to be the big guy to do this. And And, you know, last year, there's a huge boom in chip demand. Everybody's like going crazy. I don't know enough chips, you heard all those stories, right? And, and uh, being forewarned kind of among other preparations, they did, they did something kind of interesting this time around. And these cycles happen, you know, every several years in negotiating with clients who were just like, give me the chips, I'll do anything to get the chips, they wrote in pretty, stiff penalties for any cancellations. And so, you know, that foreknowledge, forewarning for them is really paying off right now. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of the a lot of the the clients and stuff are are just like, "Oh my god, I, you know, I can't take anything, don't give it to me, blah blah blah." And and I think it's it's having like nine-figure impacts at this point. And it reminds me I think there was a quote in uh, during the tech recession the one, one from Chambers at Cisco. Like the brightest people in the world couldn't have seen this coming but yeah, it was cyclical. Mm. You know, and they had I think there was even I I I, I don't know where I saw this but I I do recall it. I don't think I'm 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 making it up, but that they would put stuff on boats and ship it just to be like it's gone, mm. but it wasn't going anywhere. It's- Just to get it out, right? Because that's how stuck you are.
1: Well, I heard you mention that, uh, like Jeffrey Moore, your mentor, uh, that you're doing extremely well if you can forecast at forecasting, if you can spot a recession right when it starts, right? So it's very difficult. Even though we look back at these periods, it's still very, very difficult because ultimately you don't have a crystal ball.
0: Super difficult. And then you've got the the fear or the you know fear and greed and i guess the for investors that we flip over from manufact you know companies c suites and and we switch over to portfolios is this a bear market <laughs> rally or is it a new bull market anticipating in essence a soft landing you know what the heck's going on right the, i'm looking here i don't know this is s&p i have up 1.9% today 77 points or so right So, and that's building on the earlier recovery off the low. So what is it? Which one is it? You know, now from our analysis of managing the cycle risk there, bear markets are totally associated with recessions. And we've had one, right? We've fallen 24%. Now we're bouncing off of that. So that's totally consistent with the downturn. Big corrections, bear market, totally consistent with the cyclical downturn. All of our good leading indexes nailed that call, 100%, it was a bullseye. Could they be wrong in not seeing a business cycle recovery here? Sure, I don't know, like anything's possible. This is not a uh, perfect science at all. But in looking at the history that we have a century or so, looking at the logic that we have, I haven't even touched on the world economy. But let me just stipulate for a second. It doesn't look good. It's all cycling down. So with all of that stuff, it is pretty improbable that there is a soft landing on the radar or on the edge of our radar that we're just not seeing at all. And somehow the market is having a view of that that we're not. That doesn't seem there. And I'm looking for it, right? Could we be wrong? The most bullish thing you could say, I think, is that, hey, there's still jobs growth. But when you look in there, there's all kinds of structural shifts going on in there and mismatches of skills and on and on and on that I, and our forward-looking leading employment indicators are weak. They haven't turned up. So when I look at all that, I'm like, hey, I can't in good conscience say, oh, yeah, Let's start doing risk on. There's there's no evidence from our cyclical vantage point to to say that. So having said all that, I have to answer my own question and say, eh, it looks like a bear market rally.
1: Yeah. Well that's certainly exactly what people are wanting to hear on this podcast. Right. Ultimately, I mean, not not financial advice. Yeah. This is long-term yeah. views, just our own opinions. But like, you know, it is an investing podcast and I know you're talking with clients. So always curious, you know, it looks like doom and gloom. It doesn't look like this is the beginning of the next bull market. You're looking at things like unemployment indicators, which, you know, once you dig into their Actually, maybe not as rosy as you think. So in terms of like asset allocation, can you talk broadly on how clients are thinking about positioning their portfolios accordingly, going into these kind of headwinds?
0: Yeah. I mean, by and large, look, it's a lot of assets are actually, you know, more leaning toward the hard landing scenario, with the exception of equities and broad brushstrokes, right? So, you know, that it's difficult for that divergence to persist. It can persist for a couple months. Sure. Totally. Uh, And, and, and probably just long enough to sucker people. (laughs) You know, that's how, that's how the, that's how the market works. Or election Uh, cycles and things like this, right? (laughs) Yeah, there's, there's a lot of that. So, so, but, but uh, probably here's the one thing I want to share. And it's not complicated. It's, it, we've talked about leading indexes. We've talked about central banks. And so we have these so-called long leading indexes. Now, a distinction of a long leading index is, is you know, it's leading by a few quarters, not one or two quarters, but, but more than that. The, the Again, this is not, there, there's, there's no precision here. I'm talking about general relationships. Equities are a short leading indicator. If I look at all of the examples of all the turning points all over the place across space and time, you know, internationally at home, as far back as we see, they, they tend to be shorter leading indicators. They're good ones at cycle troughs, particularly. So if you see a cycle trough, yeah, you want to go risk on, which is why this fear of missing out and people are jumping on this, right? So... So those long leading indicators we have for 22 economies around the world. So all the big developed nations and all the major emerging markets, including China, India, and even Russia. Okay. And uh, those long leading indicators have never been as weak as they are without a global recession. Just full stop separately we monitor the diffusion the percentage in other words of central banks which are tightening rates and and so while the long leading 21 country 22 country long leading index is coming down to a a reading that we don't see outside of a global recession the percentage the proportion of central banks which are raising rates has never been this high and As far as we know, monetary policy works with long and variable lags. It takes a while to propagate through, right? So, you know, the, the, when the mortgage rate moves, then it has the impact on this and that and activity, or when the IPO doesn't happen or the second round of funding or whatever, then it, it pushes out because it, then it affects all these dominoes down the line and and so that's why you have the long and variable lags. So the market may react very fast in the hope that something is happening, but then the actual activity then has to react to the change in rates or whatever. So you've got everybody slamming on the brakes when already everything, all the drivers of the cycle are jerking to the downside. That's not a great, great combination. <laughs> so it makes any individual country's circumstances have a kind of a tougher backdrop. Okay, so that's the some kind of insight that comes up from looking at literally 100 different cyclical indexes around the world.
1: Yeah, well, that is great <laughs> stuff. And Lachshman, I know we're bub- yeah. bumping up against the time. I could talk to you okay. for hours about this stuff, but I'll... I'll link ECRI and your Twitter and all of the other things we mentioned in this conversation, which was fantastic. But where can my listeners find out more about you or where would you like to send them?
0: Yeah, uh, well, businesscycle.com is our website, or I try to, if I'm thinking or seeing something and and, kind of just want to pop it out there for the the ongoing cycle discussion, go to at businesscycle on Twitter. And that's about the extent of, you know, it kind of propagates out from there, but... That's, awesome. a, that's an easy way to keep an eye on us. Well,
1: great to have you on again, as usual, just dropping tons and tons of knowledge bombs, <laughs> and I'm sure my listeners will really love it. So thank you so Always much.
0: Always a pleasure. Let's let's do it again, you know, in a couple you know, a couple quarters, we'll do it again, and everything will have changed. Sounds great. <laughs>
1: there you have it. Thank you for listening. I really appreciate your support. Show notes, transcript links, and more can be found on our website at altassetallocation.com. If you'd be so kind, please share this with anyone you think might be interested or get some value from this conversation. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out. I'm always happy to hear them. Lastly, if you're on YouTube, please like the video or subscribe to the channel. If you're listening to the audio version of this, please subscribe to the podcast and or leave a review. This really helps more people find the podcast, and I really appreciate it. Thanks again, and hope you have a fantastic day. Happy investing.